listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. So if you have a Bible with you or one maybe you can turn on or open up, I uh, invite you to turn to 2 Timothy. And we're going to be in 2 Timothy uh, really over the next several weeks. We're starting a series just moving right through 2 Timothy. And uh, so if you're at home with us today, we encourage you to follow along with us as well. Uh, some of you may have seen it or you have at least probably heard of it in culture, but there is a musical called Hamilton out there. Uh, and in Hamilton, Eliza, who is Hamilton's wife, uh, has this pivotal scene where she's really frustrated at Alexander Hamilton because of his constant work, uh, his constant writing, his constant busy schedule. And Eliza's really in the song that she's singing to Hamilton is pressing in and she's asking this question. And the, and the question she's asking really comes from a heart of feeling kind of neglected as a wife. And, and she's, she's asking this question. She asked Hamilton this, why do you write like you're running out of time? Why do you write like you're running out of time? Why do you write day and night, day and night, like you're running out of time? Paul is writing this letter to Timothy because Paul is running out of time. Paul is in a Roman prison at this time. He has been sentenced, we believe, at this point. He knows his execution is on the way. And his crime that he was charged with and convicted with was preaching that Jesus Christ was the one true Savior. And say when Paul preached that message in the various towns and places that he went, that only Christ could save you, that upset the Jews. Because for the Jews, that changed their traditions. It changed their customs. It changed the way they understood how to come to God based on the Old Testament. It, it really rocked their world in that sense. But it also upset the Romans a lot of times. Because now Paul is introducing to the people this king by the name of Jesus. And they saw that as a threat to their way of life and even to the emperor. And so at this point in time in history, Nero is the emperor of the Roman Empire. And Nero's reign ends in 68 AD, but he really has a height of Christian persecution from 64 to 68 AD. And Paul Eusebius, one of the early church historians, believes that he was probably executed about 67 AD. So you're probably dating this letter between 64 and 67 AD. But it's a very important letter. And it's a letter that really speaks to a lot of what we've gone on in 2020 because what Paul is telling Timothy constantly through a theme in this letter is this, keep pressing on. You, you have to have passion, you have to remember your purpose, Timothy, and you have to preserve. And, and so I entitled this series, Grit. Because when you read through this letter, that's the idea that, you're, that Paul is giving to this young Timothy Timothy, life's going to be hard. It's not always going to go easy. You have to have grit in the Christian life because you have to remember your purpose. You have to remember that passion that Jesus gives you and the way you can persevere in your faith. But when you think about this year, and it's been hard, it's been tough, and it's not been easy, I'm sure for Timothy, there were moments where he said, is it worth it? Is it worth pressing on? 
Is it worth continuing to go forward? What's God doing? God, why are you doing this? Lord, should I keep going? I want to invite you to stand with me. And let's read 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verses 1 through 7. If you're new with us, we like to stand when we read chunks of Scripture in order to honor the reading of the Word of God. Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God whom I served, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Verse 4, he says, I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Matt has already read this, but let's look again in verses 6 and 7. There are important verses here. For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And you may be seated. Paul, in verse 1, gives a customary greeting of really a way he starts a lot of his letters. And when you read through the letters of the New Testament, Paul, it's pretty much about the same type of greeting. But Paul says something that's very key in verse 1. He says, I'm an apostle by the will of God. And why he often appoints and, and points that out to his readers and he introduces himself in that way is for two reasons. Number one, he's establishing to you as the reader, even in 2020, that his authority comes from God in writing this. And so he says, I'm an apostle by the will of God. And therefore, an apostle, to, to be an apostle, there's some qualifications. First, you had to witness and see the resurrected Jesus. That encounter happened in Paul's life in Acts chapter 9 when he's on the way to Damascus. And if you were, maybe remember that story or, or you're new, let me summarize it very quickly. Paul was not a believer in Jesus Christ at that time. He was actually someone persecuting Christians. He's on his way to Damascus to persecute more Christians. Jesus steps in his life gives him a vision of who he is, really knocks Paul off his horse figuratively and literally, and he says, why are you persecuting me, Paul? And that's Paul's conversion experience. So he had seen the resurrected Jesus Christ, but the second qualification for an apostle was to be authorized to preach the gospel by a church. And in Acts chapter 13, that's what happens when Paul and Barnabas are sent out by the church of Antioch. And they say, we authorize these men to preach the gospel in churches and to do missionary work. And so he says, I'm an apostle by the will of Jesus Christ. So he, he's establishing his authority, but he's doing something else by that statement. And, and, and don't miss this. He's showing you his identity. He's saying, I, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. This is who I am. This is my identity. And see, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, if you're a follower of Christ, the root of your identity is right there. That you identify by your root of who you are in your life with Jesus. But see, 
as Christians, we, we need to really keep some things in order. This is who we are. We are followers of Jesus. So that means this. Your identity in Christ is greater than your race. It's greater than the nation you belong to. It's greater than your political party. And it's greater than your profession. But the sin that all of us will struggle with and the sin that we all can get caught up in is we'll tend to mix up our identity. And so what we'll do is sometimes we'll identify with our profession more than we do with our Savior or a political party, or a nation, or a race, and we'll get those things out of order. And so we we do this all the time, don't we? What do you do for a living? Well, I'm a a banker. I'm a lawyer. I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. And that might be your function. That might be your profession. But what happens in that profession over time? You identify with your job, and that marks who you are. So what happens when you stop being the banker, stop being the lawyer, stop being the pastor, stop being the teacher? Some of you know this because that has happened in your life. What has happened is then sometimes people start to struggle with their purpose in life. Some of you may have experienced it even in retirement. Well, this is what I used to do, but now what do I do? Who am I now? I'm retired. And so when we start mixing up our order of identity, we can throw our purpose off. We can forget what our purpose is in Christ. And so in your identity, think of it this way. You first and foremost always identify with Christ as your Savior more than your nation, more than your political party, more than your profession, more than what you do. But how do we remember our identity? How do we make sure that that's on par and that's where we need to be. Well, notice what he says in verse 1, because I know this is an introductory statement to a letter, but it's really packed full of a lot of things. He says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and here's how you and I always remember how we belong to Jesus. It's according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. The Bible promises us life in Christ. 1 John 5.12 says that he who has Jesus has life. He who does not have Jesus does not have life. So there, without Christ, there's no spiritual life. Without Christ, there's no forgiveness. Without Christ, there's no heaven for all of eternity. With Christ, there's all of those promises. Now you have spiritual life in Christ. You have purpose. You have forgiveness of sin. And you have eternity with God forever because life is found in Jesus. Is that good news? Amen? Right? That's what we call the gospel. That's the gospel, that life is in Christ. The gospel is that good news and that message that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, was buried on the third day, rose again, that anyone who comes to Christ has life in Jesus. That's good news of the gospel. But who's the gospel for? Who's it for? Is it only for people who need Jesus? Or is it for people who have Jesus? Or is it for both? You know, we're thankfully, starting to get a little cooler, temperature-wise, amen, right? Thankfully. I know it's not as cool as we all want to be. Some of you are pulling the pumpkin spice things out way too early, but that's, that's okay. I get it. It's October, and we want it all out. 
Yeah, but, but some of you in your homes, maybe if you're with your kids or, or just you, you've started to pull out the fall clothes. Last year's fall clothes. You got them out of the, you know, the bin and you're starting to do what? Starting to try those clothes on. Or maybe as a parent, you're starting to say, does this fit now or do I need to pass this on down to your brother? You know, and we're in our, in our home, we're that way. We're like, I just told Sandra the other day, I was like, just tell me how many new shirts we've got to buy this year. Right? Just tell me how many new jeans. These kids keep growing, right? And so what's happening is we're, we're trying on these fall clothes right now for what purpose? To see if they still fit. Hear me on this. It does not matter how long you have been a believer in Jesus Christ, the gospel still fits in your life. You and I constantly need this gospel. We need this Christ, and we need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. So this is who Paul is writing, we see in verse 2, to Timothy. He has addressed this letter to Timothy, my beloved child. Now, this is not a biological child. This is a special relationship, a a friendship. Uh, Paul is taking a, a spot of kind of mentorship of Timothy in his faith. Now, who is Timothy? Let's just kind of talk about Timothy really, really quickly. We meet Timothy and his mother and his father and his family in Acts chapter 14 when Paul is moving through a city called Lystra. And Paul's on a missionary journey there. And by Acts chapter 16, when Paul comes back into the region, we see that Timothy is a believer in Jesus at this point. But Timothy's family is an interesting family. Timothy has a dad uh, who is a Greek who does not believe in Christ. His mother and his grandmother are Jews who do believe in Jesus. And so Paul kind of adopts a Timothy under his wing. He becomes a mentor to Timothy. Uh, Timothy goes on a lot of missionary journeys with Paul that we can read through the New Testament. Timothy is also authorized to be a a pastor, and he goes out and leads churches and, and preaches the gospel. And so on and on, you see this special relationship that's building between Timothy and Paul throughout the New Testament. I love to stop and think about this relationship because you have two guys that are very, very different. And you have guys who are, who are raised different. I mean, you have Paul who was raised as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And now you have Timothy who wasn't raised that way. I and mean, you, you have different traditions. You have different customs that are coming together. And I'm sure that Timothy and Paul around the campfire at times got into it about some things. I'm sure they didn't agree on everything. But you know what they did? They laid down a lot of those differences for the sake of the gospel. They reminded themselves of something very important, that the gospel messages trumps all, that the gospel message, no matter our differences in life, unites us under the banner of Jesus, reminding us of the purpose of constantly getting the gospel out. 2020 is a time of unity in our country, is it not? (laughs) That was actually a joke, sorry. My bad, dry sense of humor, okay? Is 2020 a time of unity in our country? No. What are we seeing? A lot of contentiousness. A lot of division. A lot of taking sides. I I was telling somebody recently, I said, never in my time of ministry have I seen issues that we're having to deal with, not only in churches, but in our culture, where there's like no middle ground. I mean, you're either here or you're here. But what do we need to be reminded of as Christians? 
we need to be reminded no matter what we disagree on, we can unite under the banner of Jesus Christ. Because it's the blood of Christ that brings us together for the purpose of spreading the gospel to all people. And so Paul is writing to Timothy. We see this relationship bearing out in a special way, verses 3 through 4, that Paul is talking about his, his desire to see Timothy again. But Paul's also giving us another insight into Timothy's life, into his family. And I love verse 5. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Like I mentioned, Timothy had a dad uh, who was a Greek who wasn't a believer in Jesus Christ. But dads, let me remind you, do not shrink back from your responsibility as men to teach your kids to love Jesus with a passion. You may teach them a lot of things, how to change a tire, how to you know, hunt, how to fish, and those are all good things to do. But teach them how to love Jesus. Model that. See, moms, same thing. Don't shrink back from your responsibility as moms to, to love your kids and to teach them to passionately love Jesus. And I know I have a lot of grandparents in the room in this service, so grandparents, let me camp here for a second. Grandmas and granddads, your sole purpose with those grandkids is not to spoil them. I know you enjoy doing that. And I love to send my kids to the grandparents because they will buy things I will not buy for them. And I am grateful for my in-laws and my parents when I can send them on and I can say such and such wants this. And if you'd like to buy it, that's fine by me because I'm not buying it. And I'm glad that it can drain their bank account. It doesn't have to drain my bank account. God bless them for that. It's wonderful. But that is not your sole primary purpose with those grandkids. Your sole primary purpose with those grandkids as grandparents is to teach them to love Jesus with a passion. And you see how that is played out here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, that his grandmother had a mark in his life and helped bring young Timothy to faith. But notice what Paul's reminding Timothy to do. And we get into verse 6 and verse 7, and this is our action point for today. He reminds Timothy of this, and this is also a reminder for you and I. He says in verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now the gift of God in verse 6 is going to speak to what we would call a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts. The New Testament teaches this, that when you come to, new, to faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, that God gives you a spiritual gift or some people get spiritual gifts. But the good news is, as believers in Jesus, you're all gifted spiritually in a way. Then this gift that God gives you, you don't get to sign up for. Uh, it's not like he's going to send you a survey and say, you want the gift of teaching or hospitality or mercy or love? You know? But God, remind, remember, is the one who has designed you, who loves you, who made you, who knows you better than you. And he, when you become a believer in Christ, he says, okay, here's what I'm gifting you with. I'm going to give you this spiritual gift. I did not sign up for the gift of teaching. I was the kid in class who would rather take an F than to stand up in front of people and give a book report. That was me. I was shy. I didn't like groups. I didn't really like people, to be quite honest with you. 
I gave my life over to Christ. I got serious about my faith, and God says, I'm going to call you to be a pastor. I thought, God, you really don't know me, do you? I mean, come on. And now I'm like, give me a microphone in a crowd or a person, and I'm going to share Jesus with them. That's what I love to do. That's my gift. That's who God has made me and molded me to be. So I, I love going to public events when I'm out in the public and people say, hey, would you mind praying for the meal or would you pray, praying for that event? And you better believe that prayer is going to be way more about the food. It's going to be about a five-minute gospel presentation in the prayer because you just gave me an open mic in public. I was down in Maryland one time. Sorry, I'm just going to rabbit trail real quick right here, but that's okay. You'll be, you'll be all right. I'll bring it back around somehow. I was in Maryland when we were serving up in Pennsylvania, and one of our church members, uh, he was a warden of a maximum security prison. He, he got assigned this new prison. And he said, hey, at, at my you know, uh, ceremony, I get to pick who's going to pray. Would you pray? I was like, sure. You know? So I get down there, and the governor's there, and a couple of senators are there, and the mayor's there, and all these dignitaries are there. And I, I didn't know they were all going to be there. So I pulled John aside. I'm like, look, man, what can I do here in this prayer? Like, I don't want to get you fired. Like, can I, can I preach, you know, can I say Jesus in this thing? I mean, like, I didn't know all these elected officials are going to be there. He's like, you do what you want to do. I get to pick. I was like, cool. So he's like, all right, dear God, just like all these prisoners, everyone sitting in this room, no matter their elected office is a sinner. You know, God, we've all done crimes. Just some of us have been caught in different ways. But God, here's the good news. And here's the great news that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, and three days later, Jesus came back. So no matter who we are, people behind bars or not in bars, we can come to know Jesus as our Savior. Dear, dear God, bless John. Amen. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, I was like, like, there you go. I mean, like, you gave me an open mic, and I'm going to take it. But see, God gives us all those gifts, and there's different ways that he gifts you. And he can use you for that. And those spiritual gifts that, that he gives you, it's, it's not for you, but it's for others. It's, I, I love the way Gary Everett says in his commentary this. He says, the gifts or the spirit are for serving others, not for personal use. When we're not serving, we're not using the gifts to operate through us. And so God gives us these spiritual gifts to be able to serve the body, to build up the church, to, to serve one another. And that's why we say as a church, there's four ways we want to operate. We want to be a church that engages in our spiritual life. So that means we, we want to help you read your Bible. We want to help you share your faith. We want to help you pray. We want to be a church that connects with one another. So that's why we have life groups and we have discipleship classes and events where we can come together. We can encourage each other and connect. But, but we want to be a church that serves we have a church that's not just in our communities, but for our communities. We have to remind ourselves over and over that God did not put Heights Baptist Church here and all the people around Heights Baptist Church to make Heights Baptist Church bigger. God put Heights Baptist Church and all of us and all these people around us to get the good news of Jesus Christ out to them, to make our communities better. And so that's why we also want to be a sharing church. We don't want to just be people that know good news want to share that good news. We want to invite people to hear the word of God and to share with them. And so let me encourage you as a church, keep pressing, keep serving, keep sharing, keep inviting. And I know 2020 has been interesting. It has been difficult at times, and we've had to do things radically different in ways we've never done them before. But I'm so proud of you. Let me highlight some things you have done just very recently 
that I'm so proud of you guys and want to keep encouraging you on. So, so far, you've given so well to Operation Christmas Child. Yesterday, we had a packing party. 32 of you packed 141 boxes for Operation Christmas Child. On campus, we already have 213 packed boxes. And so I know there's probably many of you that are still in the process of packing boxes out there. They're all due back November 15th. August 2nd uh, was about the halfway point of 2020. And we said, Let, let's have a challenge of, of inviting people to hear the word of God. And I asked you guys, I said, how many people do you want to do? You know, just take out this card and, and write down a number you want. And so we took everybody's number. It came up to 1,040. So we call it our, one, our, our 1040 challenge where we want to invite 1,040 people through the rest of 2020 to hear the word of God in some way. And so on this card right here, I want you to take that out. It's in front of you. And, and I know some of you have done this so far, and, and many of you probably have invited, but you've never let us know. Let us know. Maybe you said, oh man, a month ago I did four people. And you never wrote it down, write it down. And here's why. So far, you've invited 232 people uh, since the beginning of August. Thank you for that. But here's some stories. And I love to get stories from you guys. It says One person said, my friend watched online. Then I forwarded to two other of their coworkers. And they watched. A person said recently, I commented on one of the Facebook posts of a friend and now I'm getting them plugged into a life group here at Heights. A friend told me recently she misses going to church. I invited her to Heights. She and her husband have been coming the last two weeks. So I know there's stories and more things going on out there like that. Because you guys are, yeah, every week I leave here and I, I hear a story. Or you'll email me one and you'll text me one. And thank you so much for that. But, but let us know how you're doing. So this morning, take that card out. And whether it was a month ago or two months ago, just write it down. You don't have to put your name to it. Just say, hey, I, I did four or eight or ten, however many is. And at the end of the service, put it in the gray box back there. Last week, we also launched Pray and Go. What Pray and Go is going to be is an initiative once a month through the uh, end of 2021 to where we identify a neighborhood that we go into in the community. We prayer walk those streets. We pray for those homes and we leave a door hanger and we let them know that we prayed for them as a church. We uh, Yes, last week when we set them out, we said we're going to go to Blue Water Lakes and Martha Vineyard. You committed to pray for 215 homes this month. And I want to thank you for that. Next month, we're going to go to Mustang Crossings and pray for them here in Alvin. I mentioned already today, uh, folks out with Texas Baptist men, disaster relief. We've had more go recently. You gave in partnership with uh, Kingdom Harvest Church and Way of Life Church, donating uh, to help with disaster relief. Thank you. Thank you for all of that. And I know there's so much more you're doing. And thank you for using those spiritual gifts to build up the body, to encourage others, to serve others. And I want to center in on one last thing on verse 6, and then we're done. Because here's what Paul says, and it's important. He says, fan the flame. For this reason, I remind you to fan the flame, the gift of God, which is in you. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. To fan the flame, it means to rekindle, to ignite, to rekindle that afresh and anew. And when you think about Christians, and this may be applying into your life right now, there's a lot of Christians that are like Pluto. See, Pluto in our solar system is one of the farthest areas you can go. It's one of the coldest areas you can go. 
And the reason that Pluto is so cold 12 months out of the year is because it's away from the sun. There's some Christians that are like Mercury. Mercury is one of the hottest areas you can go in our solar system. And the reason Mercury is always so hot is because of its proximity to the sun. And there's some of you that may be cold. There's some of you that may be hot. But I would imagine most of you are like me. We are not always Pluto and we're not always Mercury. We're really like Earth. You know what Earth is like? Earth is hot and Earth is cold. And Earth goes through seasons of hot and cold and hot and cold and hot and cold. And I'm sure for many of you, just like me, that describes you. There's times you're hot for Jesus. There's times you're cold for Jesus. You're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. That's why Paul says right here, fan the flame. Pray that the Holy Spirit would ignite again. Ignite afresh and anew your passion for Christ. Your love for Jesus. The use of that spiritual gift. Jim Elliott, in his book, The Shadow, wrote this prayer. God, I pray, light these idle sticks of my life that I may burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one. Like you, Lord Jesus. The question that you need to wrestle with this morning is not, God, what is my purpose? The question that all of us need to wrestle with is this. God, have I given myself over to you and to your purposes? God, not what's my purpose for me, but God, have I given me over to you and your purpose? God's purpose in your life is for you to be saved. Do you know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior? God's purpose in your life is to be baptized as a believer, to to go public with your faith. That's one of the greatest ways you go public with your witness that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life. God's purpose is for you to partner with other Christians. We, We call it partner membership here at Heights, where you partner together to spread the gospel out to others. That's why we say here we love to partner together that we can love and lead all people to a new life with Christ. Have you given yourself over to God in his purposes.